Okay, welcome everyone. Parshas Teruma, Parshas Truma, Tough Shin, Pay Dalit, twenty twenty four. Um, we'll have a wonderful, amazing Parsha class today. I'll try to uncover some exciting secrets of the of the Parsha. Maybe discover something new, informative. Um, the theme of this Parsha is pretty much straight through from beginning to end, as most of you may well know. However, you did not get very many hints from my picture in my email because it doesn't really have any connection to the Parsha in any particular way. This week's Parsha, this week's Torah reading, Torah portion, is focused on the building of the Mishkan. Mishkan in art school English is translated as a tabernacle. Forgive me if I call it a Mishkan. I think that word is in our vernacular a lot more common and more frequent than the word tabernacle. So I will use the word Mishkan. But in case you weren't familiar with the word Mishkan, now you know what a Mishkan means. A Mishkan means a tabernacle. The temporary um, edifice that the Jews built in the desert, which when they eventually went into the land of Israel, they went into the land of, of Eretz Yisrael, they built a real um, permanent structure, a permanent base of Mikdash, a permanent temple, um, which kind of replaced this temporary structure. Now, if anyone's not familiar with the general basic layout of the Mishkan. There you go. Welcome, Sarah. Are you live? So if anyone's not familiar, in the in the should be here somewhere, in the art scroll English blue chumash that we use on page 463, I believe they have a I mean, on mine they do, and I'm assuming on everyone else's they do, unless you have a really, really old version. They have a um, a layout, a little picture, a little diagram of what it looked like. So it looks very um, temporary on this picture. There's beams going across the thing. This is the courtyard around the side. I should really just show it up for everyone. Okay. So here, I'm sorry, I don't have any hands left. So one second. Yeah. So this is the beams around the courtyard and they held up this curtain and then here itself in the middle is the actual tabernacle which looks very small and this is the mizbeach, the, the altar um, it looks very small but it was because the picture looks small but it was tall enough um, for a, a, a person a, a full grown person to walk in with plenty of extra space it was pretty tall um, it wasn't 60 feet high like the temple was, but it was it was a, a sizable structure. It was fully functional. And the structure, this inside box, or whatever you want to call it, was made out of these beams, which are diagrammed over here on the bottom of page 457. See them? The beams are called crushem, and they're basically line them up. On the bottom, there's these little sockets called adunim, called sockets. So basically, just to, put it, to make the diagram, you had all these beams lined up, 
And the reason why they didn't put regular walls is because they were taking them apart and putting them back together whenever they traveled. So then the way they put these together was they put these um, rods. I don't know what you rods is, I guess, a good word. So these long rods across through these sockets, through these brackets, and that held them together, one on top, one on bottom, and there was a hole running across right through the middle, and they they put a rod right through the middle. They had these sockets on the bottom called adanim, okay? And each beam fit into the socket. They had these rings on top that let that went around the middles of each one, and they connected each beam together. Basically, that's how the structure looked. And inside the structure, there was the obviously the 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 vessels of the Mishkan, which I'm sure um, you're all familiar with. Maybe you may not be able to remember them all by heart, but you definitely are familiar with them. The Aram Kodesh, which housed the Luchos. Actually, it has two sets of luchos, the broken ones and the complete ones, and it had on the outside, there was a shelf. There's a different, a big machlekes among the commentaries, where, what, where, where, where these, but the, but the, there was a Sefer Torah that was written by Moshe himself that was placed either inside, on top, or on the side. According to most commentaries, it was placed on the side of the of the um, Kodesh Kodeshim, I'm sorry, of the of the Arona Kodesh, of the alt, of the um, what do they call it again? In English, the Holy Ark, the Holy Ark. Well, outside of the Holy Ark, it was actually on a shelf out right in the Holy Ark itself, next to it. And according to, I think the Medrash brings down, Rashi brings down, there was actually a little sampling of the Mun. Inside as well, to to remind everyone of the great miracle and it, this man, particular man, every other man, right, um, disappeared or rotted the next morning. This particular man lasted, and basically the that was the Kodesh Kadashim. That was actually curtained off, and it was his own special section. The other vessels were the menorah, which we're all familiar with. The you have a late note, Steve. You have a late note. The other the other vessels were the menorah, we're all familiar with the the um um the shulchan, which is this table. They had this set of shelving that the. The the breads, the twelve loaves of bread were, were were kept on, and the incense altar, the altar of incense that they used to burn the incense on in the inside, and then obviously outside we saw before in the picture, and the outside there was the larger altar where they burnt the sacrifices on. Basic layout of the Mishkan. Okay. So in the beginning of the Torah portion, in the beginning of the parsha, what happens? The Torah tells us something very interesting. By Hashem or Moshe, Lema Hashem tells Moshe, saying, Daber el Bnei Yisrael, page 444, 445, right in the first verses of the uh, this week's parsha. Daber el Bnei Yisrael, v'yikhuli truma. Tell, Daber, speak to the children of Israel, v'yikhuli and take for me 
a truma, a truma means a, a, a take from me a portion, give me may ace kalish from any person actually from any person who's willing willing to give, who wants to give, is has a giving heart. Um from every man whose heart motivates him. Take for me a truma. So we've spoken in the past, the cryptic wording over here. Um, we're not going to really get into it. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it in case anyone forgot what we spoke about last year. It says, it says, take for me a truma. Take for me. That um, set of wording, if you read it in art school, they will certainly have changed the trans literal translation, because obviously in context it doesn't mean take for me, because take for me doesn't make any sense. You give to me, if I'm talking, you give to me, or I take from you, or, right, right, right? it's either I take from you, or I give to you, or you give to me, uh, you don't take to me, that just makes no sense, right? The wording, the, the grammatically incorrect. So if you read the article, they will very, very, I didn't read it yet, speak to the children of Israel and let them take for me a portion. So they, they also actually keep it pretty, pretty much in the literal wording. And the question goes, why does it seem backwards? And we're not going to get into this, but the short, short, short answer is, Short, short answer is that when we give in spirituality, we get. And to say it in, in a little bit more of a slightly more meaningful way, when we admit Hashem, um, it should never, hopefully Mashiach will come before this happens to everyone. But one day, um, we will all hit the age of 120. And at that time, we will all have amassed, hopefully, tremendous wealth. We will have buildings, and we will have money. We will have stocks, bonds, real estate, and you know, you name it. Gold bars, um, the Rolex watches, and all of this we will be able to bring up with us to heaven, correct? Of course, right? No, it doesn't work like that, right? What happens is, when a person dies, I just watched a very, very scary video. Actually, totally um, nothing to do with anything about talking about dying. I watched it today. There's a special video. I'm sorry, a special day, um, which is actually Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site. It's called. It's on Zion Adar, which is on Friday. It falls on this year on Friday, and it's a special day for Chaver Kadisha. Special days for the people who help with, assist with the burial. Chaver um, Kadisha. And I was watching this video. They have it's a very short video. If anyone wants to watch it, it's just a, it's not that dramatic, but it's it's it's, it's interesting video. And it's basically a video put out by the National Association of Chavra Kadijas, whatever they call themselves. Um, and it's basically a video of a cremation. And the the, the idea of, of the video is basically, here's what you think it is, and this is what it really looks like. And it just goes through a whole cremation, and it's pretty disgusting. And it's basically telling you, do you want this? Not you. It's telling, it's trying to help people who are not 
part of the traditional part of Judaism who actively want this to tell them like this is what it looks like which is actually like Leslie's face that's what it's supposed to be doing to everyone and it's, it's tr trying to help people who really think that cremation is beautiful to have put that look on their face which is exactly what what the goal of the video is anyways but the point is that after a person dies really he doesn't bring anything up with him there's a famous story which probably never happened about a famous rich person who i'm not going to say his name because the story never happened but it's a good parable a good thought and he wrote in his will that he wants to get buried in his socks He was a very, very wealthy, influential, um, very, very orthodox Jew. And he said he wants to get buried in his socks. And they didn't know what to do because he was a very, very respected man. And it was very confusing to him, to the family, why he would want such a funny thing. They asked the rabbi, went back and forth, please, please, look what we do. And the, just special mitzvah, special commandment to always respect the wishes of a, of, of a dying person. and But but you, you can't bury someone in his socks. That's just, we, we bury someone in special burial shrouds. You don't bury someone in his socks. So they didn't know what to do. So what did they do? They went back and forth. The rabbi Paskin, the rabbi said, no, even though it was his wishes, halacha, halacha, you cannot bury him in his socks. Okay. They had, he had a second letter that was meant to be read by his shloshim the 30 days after the death. And he opened up the letter and they read it by the shloshim. They did not open it up before. as part of the will. And at the shloshim, they read the letter and it said, at this point of time, um, it's the shloshim ready. Presumably, I was buried. And presumably, I was buried not in my socks. And I was trying to teach the family a lesson to show everyone how all the money I amassed and all the beautiful, wonderful houses and mansions that I got, I didn't take any of it with me. Even my socks I couldn't bring with me. Even my socks had to stay behind. Nothing goes with you. That was his lesson. Now, take it or leave it. If it happened or not, it's a good lesson. So the point is, and when we go up to heaven, what do we bring with us? And the answer is, we bring with us a lot. Do you know what type of money you bring with you? Every single penny that you gave away. You thought you were giving it away, but that money really becomes yours. So when a person keeps money for himself, he's really flushing it away and giving it away. When he gives away his money, he's really getting it. Because every money I give away, this world is, what, 120 years for on, on a good day. It's 120 years. Yet, <laughs> your lenses, maybe, but your glasses, certainly not. They're going to crack on the on the elevator. The, the pressure, the air pressure, it'll bust your glasses. <laughs> Anyways, um, the point is that when a person gives... This world is 120 years, and the next world is eternity. Eternity is a very, very confusing word, because it's like eternity, all eternity, right? all of eternity, right? Let's just think about it for a moment. Let's imagine for a second, we're sitting in a room that is, well, just, just make it squishy, okay? Um, they're standing in a room, two feet by two feet, okay? So it's squishy. And there's no light in the room. 
completely dark room, no light. You don't have to eat. Don't worry about eating. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just imagine in my example, you're sitting in a room, two feet by two feet, and it's pitch black. There's no opening. No, everything is closed, sealed, solitary confinement. Imagine sitting in the room for ten minutes, right? Not so bad, right? Imagine sitting in the room for an hour. It's a little bit difficult. Imagine sitting in the room for two hours. Imagine sitting in that the room for twenty-four hours. Imagine the pain of sitting in the room for a week. And imagine sitting in the room for two weeks. That's really beyond, I think, probably for most of us, comprehension of unbearable. Imagine sitting in the room for a hundred days. And then imagine you would add that up to two hundred days and three hundred days in one year. And then you can try to do it in two years, 10 years, 20 years, 100, 100, 120 years, that's a lifetime. Now, imagine doing it for 220 years. Imagine doing it for 6,000 years of this world. Imagine doing it for 12,000 years, for 18,000 years, for a million years, and then you do the whole dinosaur era of the scientific world. Imagine you sitting in this room for billions and billions of years, and then imagine the word eternity way beyond that. That's what eternity means, okay? In a negative way, just easier to comprehend that in a slightly negative way. And then imagine in a positive way, how what we, can we do? How can we enjoy our money? How can all that stuff in this world? And then imagine that for eternity. The literal definition of the word eternity means endless without any comprehension of what that's supposed to mean. That's clearly something that when as soon as we give it away, it's ours for eternity. That's the idea. So when we give our money, every penny we give, it's not, it's not what, what I'm, it's not that every penny we give, oh, we get reward in heaven. We give it, we get it. It's beautiful, fluffy stuff. No, no, it's literally what every penny we give becomes our penny forever and ever and ever in the literal sense of the world. Word. Because when we give it, it goes into our bank account upstairs, our bank account upstairs. It becomes ours forever. If we don't give it, it's just temporary. So that's the idea of the first verse. Rashi tells us, just before I get into Rashi, I'm just going to read the words because it's just in context. It's nice to know. The Zayis had Truma, and this was the um, portion that they took. Zav, gold. Kesef is silver. Necheshes is copper. Techelas, Vargamon, Telashani. Turquoise, purple, and scarlet wool. Um, Sheish for Izim, linen and gold hair. I skipped the line, I think. I'm sorry, what did I say? I said gold hair. Goat hair. Goat hair. Thank you. Iris Elim Adamim, red dyed ram skins. Iris Techashim, the skins of Techashim. It's a big dis- um, discussion among the commentators what the animal Tachash was. Um, the Atse Shitim, um, Atse Shitim were a cedar word, or um, they translated here acacia word. I learned it last year from jo- from Joel. Thank you, Joel. He's not here, but for teaching me how to pronounce it, acacia word. Um, Shemen Lama are um, olive oil, Bissamim spices, incense, the Shemen Mishka, with the Kerasasamim, Avne Shoam, Avne Meluim, the Beautiful diamonds, the gemstones for the um, different parts of the breastplate and the shoulder plate on the shoulders of the of the congado. All these different things. This is what they collected. Now, if you read the verse carefully, the verse says, I should say, it says the word truma three times. Truma means to take a portion. 
So in the, in the second verse, in verse 2, it says, Dabar teruma. May ace college from everyone. And then in verse Gimel, verse 3, it says, Vizaz, and this is the Tiruma, three dimes. Anyone read the email? Bullet points, they know where I'm going with this one. It says three times Tiruma, Tirumasi, and Tiruma. So Rashi says, Rashi asks, why is it, what's the, Rashi actually brings down a, a medrash that says, what's the symbolism? Why are we saying the word truma three times? So Rashi says, Amr Rabbi Senu, Gimel Trumas Amr The Torah says three trumas. Achas trumas beka lagogayla she'aso mehem adon. And one truma, they made what with it? They separated it. It was actually silver. Sorry, I'm stuck here. Okay, one was the silver um 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 we call it campaign in this campaign to make the adanim. Adanim we mentioned before were the were the uh, sockets that the beams were placed in. Okay. The second teruma, the second um we call it campaign fundraiser was for the uh, the budgeting costs, the operational expenses. In that, you can imagine the, the buying animals and the oil and the incense and uh, the upkeep and the extra gold and silver that they needed to repair things, etc. All of that was in the second uh, campaign. And the third campaign was the one that we're most familiar with, was the building itself and the vessels contained within. So we had three campaigns. One was for the bottom sockets that was that, that the the beams slid into or held by. The second was for the operating expenses. The third one was for the actual building and the vessels. Okay. So I understand why you can separate why per, why the Torah or why Moshe would separate the campaigns with operating expenses versus the versus the 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 building. Okay, the two separate things. One is a big thing that was a big a building campaign. We make building campaigns very um it's not a daily or yearly occurrence. It's a big thing. We try to get more money for it. And operating expenses is a whole different campaign and it's budgeting costs and all that stuff. Okay, it's very reasonable that they were separate. But to make a separate third campaign for the silver that was used for the sockets that were ha- that were that the beams were placed in, that seems a little bit out of context. I think it seems a little bit unnecessary. That seems to be a very uh, strange, dare I say, thing to make a special campaign for. What was the purpose, and why was it necessary to make this third campaign for the sockets? Very, very strange campaign. I'm glad we're all on the same page. Okay. So, we're going to use this question as a springboard to talk about a beautiful topic. If I were to ask everyone here, you look at the uh, 
Freedom Tower. Or I don't know what you would use in San Luis. The Arch. The Arch is a good example. What's the big building? The one that was like used to be um the 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 the, the courthouse. The courthouse, right? Is the tallest building in San Luis? No, is it? It's just, whatever makes no difference. Whatever the, we'll call it the Arch because you have to keep it local. In Toronto, we would call it the CN Tower. That would be the example. In Lakewood, they would say the the Freedom Tower. And what's the most important part of the building? I can't hear anyone. I guess the very top. That would be an option. The seat, the very doesn't bottom, the CN have like a... I like Linda's answer. I like Linda's answer. Can you say it again? The foundation, the very bottom. Ah. No, I if it's I not strong, everything's going to topple. As we as we know as as we know from the Torah, with the, the piece of Mizraim says the the one of the the big things of the labor. I actually texted Linda to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now our secret's out! Darn. <laughs> the question is, who's going to be more upset that the secret's out? Steve or then Steve is going to look too smart now. He's not going to have any friends. Everyone's going to think he's a geek. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, because you know he has all the answers to the questions now. Because he's Linda's the one who gives all Steve's answers away. Okay. So basically, the 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 I would it would seem that the foundation is the most important part of any structure. And there is a reason, I always wonder this, I, when, I, we, when we were watching the, the Freedom Tower we built, I didn't actually watch it, but every time I had a wedding, every like three months or two months apart, you always take a look, see where they're holding. And <clears throat> obviously it was like 10 years until they actually started, it's a whole different story. But until they reached ground level, it takes years to pour enough concrete just to reach ground level. Okay, and and if anyone watched any buildings, it's an enormous amount of concrete, an enormous amount of planning and engineering just to reach ground level. And once you hit ground level, the whole rest of the building comes. My seventeen hundred seventy-six feet come within around the same time span as as the bottom, as the basement. And the reason for this is because if you don't have a good foundation, you don't have a good building. And if you have a solid foundation, solid footing, you have a solid building. That's the way it works in building. And and, and that, that is the way it works in building. So presumably, or not presumably, I'm not saying this for myself, um, the, the commentaries explain like this, it works the same way in the spiritual world as well. In the spiritual world, when we do things, the more, um, I don't know, the more positive intentions we have, the, the, the more spiritually inclined the thing will be, will, be, will become. So if we have, um, we put in the focus and the effort to, to keep ourselves I'm focused on doing something for the name and the sake of heaven, the sake of Hashem, then some, the, the, the thing we're trying to produce, whatever it may be, um, will become that much greater 
and that much clearer. Let's just, for example, say that I'm preparing a, a class. Okay, so there can be many motives for me preparing a class. Right? I could have one motive of practicing my public speaking skills. Another motive can be just my fluff and my own ego and being very proud of myself. Another motive can be teaching Torah or being proud of teaching Torah. And obviously the 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 most proper motive would be to genuinely be trying to help bring others closer to Hashem. Now the way it would work would be the more pure my intentions were, the more pure the purer my motives or my intentions were are, the more pure or crisp or clear the outcome, the output would be. The results will be much more crystal clear because in the spiritual sense, those thoughts or that class, whatever it may be, has a spiritual, strong spiritual foundation. The same way as any physical building would need a strong physical foundation. And it goes like this with anything. It goes like this with a building. Someone builds a building or invests money in a building for yeshiva, for a, for a, a school, for a yeshiva, for a shul, for a, whatever it may be. The, the more genuine and the more connected the intentions are for the sake of heaven, for the building, the more spiritually inclined the building will be. And the greater spirituality, the greater the building will be in a spiritual sense. And therefore, it goes without saying, that the potential spiritual life that can develop and can grow and, and sprout from the building will be much higher. So, now let's get back to our question. Our question was, why did the Torah need a special, why did Moshe request a special um, a special um, fundraising campaign for the Adon and for the sockets? So perhaps this can explain, or it seems very clear actually, that this can explain this extra campaign. We, human beings, all of us, we all tend to, to not think about these type of things, these foundations. I wonder when was the last time you saw a plaque that this guy donated to the foundation in memory of his beloved or whatever. We don't do that. Why not? Because it's it's not it's it's beneath the surface. No one sees it. It's not exciting. We don't do it. Now, really, we should do it because it's the most important part. In fact, what we do have in Jewish life is um, the cornerstone dedication. We dedicate the cornerstone, and we make a big simcha, a big um, a big party by the cornerstone um, dedication, which is the first thing when they map out the, the building. They have a, a big rabbi with a hard hat. You ever saw pictures about it? It's pretty cool. I'm sure in the St. Louis schools they had it as well. Some big rabbi, Rabbi Rifkin, or Rabbi Eichenstein, whichever big rabbis were around when they built buildings. And they have the big beard and the hard hat, and they have a little shovel, a little bit of cement, and they put in a little bit of concrete in the corner, not very much, a little bit. And that's the beginning of the building. And that's really what we're talking about. The first foundation, right from the beginning is with pure intentions so that the the and it's with real genuine with speeches and all the the shebang all the whatnot that goes along with it because this is what it's all about so the torah is telling us no 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 don't think that adonim is this little thing the bottom that's scraping against the dust in the bottom of the mishkan no no no, no. we're going to make a special 
fundraising just for the Adana, just for these sockets, just for the foundation. Special one to highlight the importance that even the first step right in the beginning is supposed to be with the purest intentions. It's supposed to be highlighted just as holy, just as special, just as important as everything else put together. Because they had its own fundraiser. That's the basic idea. I think we there's you can you can really um segue this can be a segue right into um, parenting and all that stuff. How but that's all different story. We're not gonna get into that. We don't have any time. I'm gonna I think we'll we'll stick we'll stick to that. Okay, we have a couple more minutes. Just wanted to talk about some basic basic stuff going on over here. Okay, so they had a Mishkan. They had a tabernacle. They had a temple. They had a base of Mikdash. And now we, sadly, we don't. So we're done. We're doomed. How do we connect to Hashem? Hashem told them, build a Mishkan so that we can connect, so that we can, I could come down and reside among the people. And we can connect and you can serve me. So now we don't have a Mishnah. We don't have one. We don't have a temple. What are we supposed to do? So the answer is, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. The answer is we have different things that we can do. And the main thing that we do instead of bringing sacrifices is we we pray. It says in the Torah, in the Shalma Parms it's a little bit of a of a of a drush of a drusha, but basically um we replace our cows, literally our carbonos, our sacrifices with our lips, with our prayer. So in those days they serve the Shem this way, that way I should say, and now we serve Hashem this way. So okay, so we have prayer, but what about the temple itself? Temple itself, we certainly don't have, right? Right, right, right. So the answer is no. No, again, we do have some sort of in Yiddish we call it a schmeck, a schmeck from from uh, of the base of English. In English is like a smell. It doesn't translate perfectly, but it's like a like a sniff or a whiff, a whiff of, of the of the temple of the base of English. What is it? A shul. Every time we go to shul, every shul we have, there's a big, uh, famous. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a medrash, but it could be it's not a medrash. I don't remember where, exactly where it comes from. I remember from my rabbi in in, in day school, he used to always say this that when the Beis got destroyed, again not in a physical re- reality, but in a spiritual sense, a spark f- flew out. Many, many sparks flew out of the Mesmegdash and they landed all over the world. And every place where a spark landed, a shul would, was destined to be built at some point in time. Every shul we have nowadays has a little, some sort of spark that connects it to the Mesmegdash. Okay, so we have this idea. Now let's think about it in a, in a let's discuss it in a much deeper way. Okay. Our shul has in the front of it, Right, it's interesting. One of the big differences between, um, I, I don't want to say it, but different other religions and and a shul, not other religions, other 
um, a church or a mosque and a shul is that a shul has a clear, every shul, first of all, faces the same direction. And, well, mosque kind of do also. And, uh, and, and there's always a, a iron codage in the front. In fact, if you drive down Hanley, you see some, I think it's Hanley, right? You see some funny, I don't know what it is, some sort of something. And I looked by it and I said, that's a shul. Because there's a big, looks like an archaic in the front. So, so I asked him, he's like, yeah, that used to be whatever shul was. I don't know what it was. Some conservative shul that moved somewhere else. I don't know. And it's clear to anyone who's drives by, anyone who's religious drives by, that was a shul. Because there's a clear, there's a archaic in the front. So on the front of a shul, that's like almost like the anchor of the shul. Because every shul has an archaic in the front. What was the highly, holiest part of the base of Megdash? The Aaron Kodesh, the Aaron Kodesh in the base of Megdash housed the Luchos, the broken ones, the, the whole ones, and it housed the, the, the we supposed to said before, as the, the Sefer Torah that Moshe wrote. And our Aaron Kodesh houses our Sefer Torah, our Torah scrolls. Okay, so our shuls are not an abstract something that we just pray in. It's very, very similar to the base. Let's continue. Where do we pray? We pray from something called an Amr. Every shul has an Amr. There's a special thing. Very, very, very um, maybe some shuls are under construction. They kind of slack on it, slack off on this. But every shul has an Amr. We don't just pray from a table. The person who leads the services prays from a special um, either a stender or some other um, um, podium, whatever it is. It's every shul has that. There's no such, there's no such thing as just shul that just has the guy leading the services from a table. The Amr corresponds to what? To the Mizbeach, the altar. The altar also was, was designated for what? The altar was designated for for the sacrifices. What flips? What, what did we trade sacrifices for in our shuls? Sacrifices get traded for prayer. So we pray from the Amr. Let's keep on going. The Bima, the Bima is where we read the Torah from the Torah. The Bima corresponds to the Shulchan. The Shulchan was the Lechem Apanam, the the, the, the the 12 loaves of bread, they were on a table. Our, we, we read the Torah from the table. And there's a little bit of a deeper connection to that, how that ties into each other. We're not going to get into that. Um, every shul has, right next to, right in front of the Aaron Kodesh, there's a, hanging from the ceiling, there's a light called a Ner Tamid that stays on 24-7. What does that correspond to? The menorah. The menorah had one left, one light all the way at the end of the menorah that stayed lit all the way to the next day, 24-7. The Cohen blew it out right before he cleaned it out to relight it the next day. It was lit 24-7. So we have a we have a near tummit to correspond to the menorah. And we have another another thing. This is maybe not every shul has it, but this is supposed to be in every shul, has a washing station. A washing station, in fact, in a lot of shuls, they have a special um, 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 dedication for the washing station. Some people just say, whatever, you had to wash your hands, so you have a sink there. But a lot of shuls have a special dedication, and it's called the washing station. It's a whole fancy production, and it's a washing station. What does that correspond to? The kior. The kior was a special... Um, vessel where they used to wash their hands when they before they did the service in the temple. So we see that the 
Shmuel that we daven in is very, very, very connected to the temple. It's a little mikdash ma'at. It is a miniature, small version, whatever that means, of the tabernacle of the Mishkan itself. And this is really what we're doing. We're taking the same exact avoda, the same exact service that they did in the real temple. And we are connecting that and saying we are going to transfer that into our prayers. And when we dive and when we come to shul, it's just that much more meaningful, that much more special, that much more connected than when we dive at home. Diving at home, of course, is, is, is perfectly fine if that's where you need to be and that's what you need to do and for whatever reason. But it cannot compare to going to shul and diving at shul because the shul is really, really, really a, a, a mini miniature temple, miniature base of Mikdash. It's really what it is. We have to always remember that we think that we, we are certainly, yes, we are in Gullus, we are in ex- exile, but we think that we have nothing going for us. No. When we go to Shul, we certainly have so many components in a much more um, diluted way, perhaps, but we have so many components of the base of Mikdash, of the Mishkan, right here in our Shul. Alrighty, have a wonderful, amazing week, everyone. Wonderful, good Chavez. Good morning.